You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. We could see in the phone booth across the way a guy with the newspaper in front of his eyes watching us. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app so that you don't miss out on future episodes. Refusenik was an unofficial term for individuals, typically but not exclusively, Soviet Jews, who were denied permission to emigrate primarily to Israel by the authorities of the Soviet Union and other countries of the Eastern Bloc. Eric Hochstein was a staff member for Senator Carl Levin of Michigan, working on human rights. Human rights was a big issue for Senator Levin. Eric went as part of a standard commercial tour of the Soviet Union for two weeks, from September the 28th, 1980, where he visited Moscow, Kharkov, Kiev, Odessa and Leningrad. Eric and his colleagues used this trip to peel off and visit various Refusnik families to bring them news, messages and supplies. Only protected by a US passport and a tourist visa, Eric travelled by public transport under surveillance from the KGB carrying supplies for the families, including Levi jeans which were better than money in the Soviet Union of the 1980s. Now, I could really use your support to help me to capture and preserve these amazing stories of the Cold War. If you could make either a one-off or better still sign up to monthly donations to help me to find the time to produce and finance the project. If you'd like to know more, just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. If you can't wait for next week's episode, do visit our Facebook discussion group where guests and listeners just like you continue the Cold War Conversation. Just search for Cold War Conversations in Facebook. Peter Ryan is your host today, and I'm delighted to welcome Eric Hochstein to our Cold War Conversation. This trip, uh, by the way, was uh, in uh, September and October of uh, 1980. So we're talking 41 years ago. It's amazing. Uh, and I was a staff member for Senator Carl Levin of Michigan at the time. This was uh, this was his first uh, year in office. Uh, you may know that uh, Carl was the longest uh, serving member of Congress from Michigan, and he was there for about 36 years, six terms. And this was during uh, his first term in office. I was a lowly legislative correspondent in that office, responsible for a certain area of issues. One of those issues was human rights, and that's where uh, that that's where I got most got involved from the beginning there. And Senator Levin was a legend, and it's interesting that uh, that we're we're talking a little bit about him as we get into the podcast. A great crusader for human rights, and 
one of the things that I recall growing up in Canada was we had our news feed or our TV feed from the United States from Detroit. And he was literally on the news every night. There was rarely a night that was that was not mentioning Carl Levin in some way, shape or form. Well, uh, Senator Levin was uh, an, an inspiring figure for me, um, a, a great mentor, a great leader, uh, chairman of the Armed Services Committee in, in the U.S. Senate uh, for many years. Uh, he recently died, Peter. I don't know if you're, you, you're aware, but uh, uh, over the end of the summer, Carl died. Uh, very sad, uh, but uh, Really fascinating was that uh, just a couple weeks ago, the U- United States Navy has named a, 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 a destroyer uh, a, for him. So the USS Carl M. Levin was christened in uh, Bath, Maine, uh, about two weeks ago. Well, it, it greatly deserved, and he'll he'll be remembered fondly, Eric. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about how you got to work for Senator Levin, just as a way of kicking off our discussion today. Sure. Um, uh, I, I'm a graduate of Oberlin College, and at Oberlin I studied politics and government, uh, and I always wanted to uh, to, to go to Washington and, and work in the U.S. Uh, uh, Congress. So I uh, joined the staff of Representative Andrew McGuire, uh, when, after I graduated, uh, I had done an internship on the Hill previously, uh, joined uh, Andy McGuire's staff, worked with him uh, on human rights. Uh, in uh, he, he was a great advocate for, for something, uh, another cause that I know is important to you, Peter, and that is uh, uh, anti-apartheid causes in South Africa. And with, uh, with Andy, I had an opportunity to meet uh, Bishop Tutu in in Andy McGuire's office and other other leaders. Um, I moved from the House to the Senate when Senator Levin was uh, w- was elected. I was actually, uh, I think, the first Washington-based staff member uh, that uh, Senator Levin hired. Uh, be- some of it had to do with my experience in human rights and foreign policy and the work that I had done on the uh, on the House side. Uh, and uh, I was I was fortunate enough to be hired uh, uh, by Senator Levin, joined the staff a- at the very beginning and worked with him for about three years. And the trip that you made to the USSR can you talk a little bit about how that came about? What what prompted it? Because I'm, sure. I'm fascinated that it, it was, you mentioned, in the fall of 1980, and that would have still been the Carter administration, wouldn't it? Yes, it was. Um, so, uh, you know, different members of Congress have different pet issues, I guess, and human rights was certainly one of uh, Carl Levin's uh, most concerned issues that he, he he came to Congress with. And um, the the plight of Soviet Jews and refuseniks, people uh, who had applied for permission to leave uh, and emigrate the, uh, the Soviet Union, uh, was a cause that was dear to his heart, uh, as well as religious freedom in general in the Soviet Union uh, and, and around the world. Uh, so I, I was uh, asked to spend a good deal of my time working on those issues, 
And those issues, just just as other issues have lobbyists and interest groups uh, in the United States, uh, the, uh, the there was a large community of uh, activists uh, working to help the Soviet Jews uh, get permission to leave Russia and to emigrate to Israel, the United States, and other countries. Canada certainly uh, is, was, a, was another destination. And those organizations were uh, very, uh, very vocal, um, built sometimes around synagogues in, in communities, sometimes about around the Jewish organizations in, in, the, in, in, in the states and, and uh, districts. Uh, but uh, what what happened often was that those organizations would, in a sense, adopt certain uh, individuals in the Soviet Union uh, to 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 attempt to keep uh, attention on their cases and keep focus on their uh, their efforts to leave. Uh, often those uh, those relationships were built on family relationships. Uh, people who had previously emigrated to a to one or one community or another, uh, working on behalf of relatives, family members, friends, colleagues who would want to who who were trying to leave uh, the, the the Soviet Union at that time, and um, the organizations such as the Union of Councils for Soviet Jewry were very active, sponsoring legislation. Uh, sponsoring efforts to, to to bring certain individuals back and, and keeping the tension on the, uh, the the horrific policies of the uh, the Soviet government. As as you prepared to go to the Soviet Union in 1980, obviously tensions were very high. Obviously, there was a great deal of oversight that would be paid to any visit of of this nature. How were you prepared for it? What did the authorities in the United States or perhaps uh, any any of the intelligence services do to prepare you and the members of the delegation yeah. prior to leaving for the USSR? Well, it, 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 it's it's an it, it's an interesting situation that that uh, my situation. Um, as I mentioned, the Union of Councils for Soviet Jewry and the uh, a, a local organization called Action for Soviet Jewry, which was uh, based in uh, in Massachusetts, were really the uh, the organizations that helped uh, us uh, on this trip. And, and Peter, uh, I I went as part of a commercial pleasure tour. Of the Soviet Union, my colleague Doug Kahn, who was the administrative assistant for Father Robert Drinan, who was a, a congressman at the time uh, and who was a, a leading human rights advocate, uh, Doug Kahn and I went on this tour. It was sponsored by a company called General Tours. It was a commercial uh, tour. We had people on the tour uh, in their seventies, in their twenties, uh, and they were. It was it was a visit to the Soviet Union uh, for two weeks, and it was not an official trip. Uh, and we were not there as officials uh, in, in any way, shape, or form. 
so we were on this uh, this bus tour, so to speak, of the uh, Soviet Union, but we were diverting ourselves uh, very frequently to 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 visit the various uh, Refusnik families and uh, do the other business that we were we, we were doing. We didn't have anything uh, from the United States government uh, that we knew of, other than uh, a, you know the, the, the passport and a, and a visa to the Soviet Union. So we we were uh, just like any other tourist uh, officially. But uh, once we got there, we knew that uh, uh, they knew we were coming. It's an approach to get in from the standpoint of of visiting the Refusniks that I personally wouldn't have imagined, but it sounds like it was very effective going on a commercial tour. It it was, and uh, it got us into the country. It got us around the country. I I should say that we we spent two weeks in the Soviet Union, arriving uh, September 28th, and uh, we started in Moscow for about a week, uh, and then we went to uh, Kharkov, Kiev, at that point, I, I, I think now it's Kiev, but uh, Kiev, uh, o- Odessa, and then Leningrad. And uh, we, we, we spent very, you know, less time in, in the, the other cities than in Moscow. But we arrived in Moscow uh, following a flight from uh, JFK through Amsterdam, through Helsinki, uh, we were on thin air all the way through, and we arrived in Moscow for, uh, you know, Shermatyvo uh, Airport, and we, 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 we arrived there after a very long trip. Eric, let me ask you, what were your impressions when you disembarked from the plane? Because I always have a feeling from the travel I've done business-wise and, and for leisure that when you you get into the airport. You immediately get a sense of what a place is going to be like. What what was the airport experience like for you as you disembarked, as you collected your luggage and and went through customs? Uh, a couple of things. I don't have uh, you know this was forty years ago, and I don't have the clearest of memories. But I have the uh, fortune, the good fortune of having written a uh, uh, like a forty page trip report following the trip. So I have uh, reread that and. Uh, tried to gather my memories i think the 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 most important you know the biggest memory was you know no matter when you uh, disembark from a plane in a in another country uh you always have a little uh, you know your blood pressure goes up and you got to go through customs and it's a little scary no matter what whether you're going to a, a friendly country in the caribbean or, or 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 the soviet union during the cold war we got off that plane, and as far as I rem- you know, I remember, uh, you know, you saw military guards with with rifles uh, along the way as you collected uh, luggage and 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 headed to uh, to the customs line. So that uh, that in itself is a little different. The the arrival was not uneventful, and 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 I think we've got to give a little bit of history on uh, you, you know you would ask how we got prepped for this trip, and the 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 prep from the uh, Soviet Jewry groups was was extreme not extreme significant. I mean they had 
they had told us a, a lot about what to expect. They had prepared us for what to say when we got to customs and, uh, you know, things like that. We were carrying in our, uh, in our, you know, with us, uh, names and, and little, uh, index cards with names and addresses of the people that we were uh, planning to visit. We were carrying with us, uh, supplies for them. Uh, we had, uh, I had in my bag, a couple of extra pairs of Levi jeans, uh, with <laughs> labels on that were almost as good and well, better than, uh, rubles at that time in terms of currency. Uh, I had things that were being. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. Sent to uh, various families. Doug had uh, s- certain types of supplies in, with him. And uh, so we were we, we were well prepared and well um well supplied for this trip. And when we got to Moscow and in the airport, we got our bags and we moved to the customs line. I was on one line and Doug was on another. Uh, And uh, I remember that on Doug's line, uh, ahead of him, a couple of people ahead of him was uh, someone uh, returning to the Soviet Union who had a rifle in his luggage, and the, uh, the, the government officials were very serious about going through that rifle uh, very, very carefully, half hour, 45 minutes, something. That line was stopped completely. My line, uh, and Doug was in that, and Doug had in his, in his possession a lot of the names and, uh, and, and things that we really needed to uh, be able to maneuver once we got into Russia, uh, but uh, I had uh, I had uh, some books. I had some, uh, you know, the clothing, uh, the Levi's. And uh, when I got uh, w- w- when 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 my number was called in the line or when I got to the front of the line, uh, they started looking at me very, very seriously. And, you know, I had the feeling that they knew that I was uh, a, a Senate staff member and that I was there uh, with a purpose. Uh, Doug went through because his line had been stopped so much. Apparently, Doug went through with almost no hassle, and I actually got pulled aside, brought into a, uh, a you know one of those dark, dingy rooms that you remember from the movies, and got um, not interrogated. My my notes tell me that they didn't ask me any question. You know, they didn't ask me anything. They just went through my bags and looked at me. They took my my shoes off, looked to see if I had. Uh, uh, any Maxwell Smart stuff in my shoes, uh, <laughs> not and 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 then they let me out. It was uh, it was scarier than, than you could imagine. Uh, I was there with people with again with rifles, and uh, they had taken me away from my group, and uh, then they let me through. Uh, they they searched everything I had. They didn't take anything. Uh, they knew what I had, and um, off we went and. Uh, we went to the Hotel Cosmos, which was a, you know, kind of a, a three, four star hotel uh, in Moscow. I don't have tremendous uh, memories of the place, but uh, it was a functional 
um, fairly modern for, for, for the 1980s hotel uh, outside, uh, you know, kind of on the outskirts of, of central Moscow. What was your impression about the, the, the whole experience as you traveled through the city, as, as perhaps they took you to go out and see Moscow, as you perhaps visited a cafe or you popped into a store? What, what were some of the things that stood out for you? Well, throughout the trip, um, uh, you know, I think there was a lot. It, it was bleak, and in in my memory is bleak and cold. There, there's tremendous, obviously, tremendous history in 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 the country, and, and they took us on tours when we were able to go. They took us on tours to the Kremlin and uh, the, the the major museums and the churches. Uh, and some of the theaters uh, in 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 the cities we visited, um, and you know it was a little bleaker than a, than than some of the European cities that I have visited. Uh, certainly, a great contrast between, uh, say, Paris and and Moscow. Um, the city itself, I don't have tremendous uh, memories of. I I I. I I'm very sorry that I don't have better memories, but uh, from my notes and and what we did, I, I realized that I was traveling a lot on my own and not with the group. We were going. I, I used the subway frequently, and the Moscow subway is is one of the most beautiful uh, and 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 really exciting subways in the world. And uh, you know, I I, I love. You know, I'm a, I'm a New Yorker by nature. I, I love the New York subway. It's it's always exciting. Uh, the Moscow subway is much much cleaner, much more grand, um, much uh, just a totally different experience. But uh, we were, you know, I, I I see that I was very much able to move around uh, more than I more than I expected, I think, and more than I realized. Um, the, the, the Soviet architecture, the Russian architecture, uh, the modern or more modern architecture is bleak and uh, block-like. And then the, uh, the, the old uh, Russian Orthodox, the churches and, um, uh, the, you know, some really, really, really beautiful churches. And then the hotel that we stayed in, the Cosmos, was, you know, a, a modern, uh, modern block of steel and glass. Uh, with really no personality whatsoever. I've been to Moscow. It's post-Soviet times. And I regret, one of my biggest regrets is I didn't have the chance to go on a trip on the metro. Is it as deep as everybody says it is? Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> Some of, well, uh, you know, the, the, the escalators down uh, seemingly endless. Uh, and each of the subway stations is decorated in a, a slightly uh, different style, and they're they're almost like museums uh, each, and uh, just f- fantastic in my memory. And again, my memory may be clouded or, or changed by various movies that we've seen, but uh, I do remember endless, endless uh, escalators. And um, Peter, I, I, one of the things that uh, you know we experienced throughout the trip was being. Uh, followed by uh, ostensibly the KGB, um, we saw them after the first day uh, when we got to Moscow. 
uh, we came outside and I, I looked for a phone booth to start making calls to some of the families that we were uh, hoping to meet during the time we were there. And uh, we could see in the phone booth across the way, a guy with the newspaper in front of his eyes watching us. And, uh, you know, we got a glimpse of a face and we saw that face uh, a number of times throughout the trip. Uh, and so it was, uh, you know, Mad Magazine spy versus spy. We weren't spies, but, uh, you know, we, we could see these people following us and strange things happened to us uh, in various uh, various places as we went to visit some of the families that we were uh, uh, trying to see. And let's touch on that a little bit, because I think that's really important uh, in terms of some of the meetings that you had. How did... You talked a little bit about how you were, were telephoning them and you were making the connections once you, once you were in place. Uh, how did the initial meetings go? What what was it like when you were going in to meet some of these uh, families? Uh, how how was the reception? What were what were the, what were their homes like? We were um, for, first of all, we were given names of people to see uh, by the, uh, the the groups that that had sponsored. Uh, our trips. So the uh, the, the uh, Union of Councils had given us names. Uh, fa- groups in Michigan, uh, where Senator Levin was from, had given me names of family members to try to see. Uh, action from Soviet Jewry uh, had had really worked with uh, with Doug and, uh, and and prepped him with names. So we had names. We had cards uh, with their addresses for the cabs. Uh, we had phone numbers at times. Um, this is a, a fairly close knit community uh, in 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 each of the cities and throughout the country. There was kind of a network uh, of of refusenik families and and active families in in that movement. Uh, so they knew we were coming because we had been, you know, because uh, the groups that we were working with had told people that we were coming. And uh, I don't want to say we were rock stars. But, um, you know, Father Drynan was very, very well known. Senator Levin, even though he was he was new in the Senate, was well known. A, a Jewish senator um, was was a, was a, a star of hope for people. And and when we were when we were able to make the connections with with them, um, they were they were gracious they were happy that we had been able to see them, to get their story, uh, and to bring their stories home to the U.S., uh, their conditions. Uh, in some cases, we were used as messenger p- pigeons to share information about families and health conditions and things like that with the people. But uh, we, we, we were able to go to people's homes. They were, uh, you know, very working class apartments in large apartment blocks, uh, you know, buildings like we would see in projects in the United States. Uh, I, I have memories of, uh, of, of large projects with uh, just blocks and blocks of, of cement buildings. And, you know, we, we knew which we, we found uh, the families we were trying to see in those apartments, and they would uh, they they would bring in friends of theirs who who they wanted to introduce to the guys from the the U.S. Senate and the House, uh, and uh, and and we would uh, we would do our best to converse with them. 
And and that conversation, I'm curious about language. Uh, were they adept in English? Were they able to communicate in English? Well, some some were some were adept in English. Um, Doug fortunately speaks Hebrew very very well, and uh, he was able to converse with some of the people in in Hebrew directly. Um, many of the families, maybe the young kids in the, not young, but, you know, an 18 year old kid in the family, uh, could serve as a translator for parents who didn't speak English. Um, we were, we were very able to, uh, to, to have conversations. Um, many of the people that we met with and visited, uh, were were highly educated scientists and um, you know intellectuals of some type, and so English was was something that many of the people we met with uh, were were very familiar with. So that was uh, that was a, a, a one way we could communicate. You read my mind because a question I wanted to ask you about was. What were some of the roles that these individuals would have been serving in, in in regards to work and what their careers or their employment would have looked like? Yeah. And I, I think it, it points to something, Eric, the fact that you had a great number of these people that, that wanted to leave the country. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what some of the human rights violations or issues that they would have been facing in the Soviet Union at the time? Well, um, and, and a lot of them were, had been in prison or had family members in prison. Um, uh, the, these might be people who, who were scientists and who had uh, been uh, charged with violations of protected information. Uh, there were a lot of trumped up charges, we think, that, that, that put people in prison at the time you you've heard of uh, famous prisoners like the uh, Anatoly Sharansky we we met with family of his uh, on the trip uh, these are people who because they expressed an interest in leaving the country and yet were part of uh, the, the 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 brightest perhaps the the most knowledgeable uh, the smartest uh, they were being um, Focused on and and not permitted to leave because uh, be, because they wanted because they wanted to get out and 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 do more things in a freer environment and uh, many of them spoke out and uh, were were imprisoned. I remember when you first talked to me a little bit about your visit to the Soviet Union, and this goes back over over ten years ago. There were some hilarious stories you had, almost Keystone Cop-like, about when you were visiting the uh, the, the Refusenik community and, and being followed. Could, could you share a couple of those anecdotes? Because, well, I know they were serious at the time. Um, they, they're, they're quite funny in retrospect. Well, yeah. When, when, when you've got two, uh, two, two young guys, uh, Doug and myself, wandering uh, in, in, in suburbs or you know, not, not the center of the city, trying to find uh, an apartment building in a block of many, many blocks looking the exact same and not speaking Russian uh, and not having, you know, any real sense of where we were, uh, all, all sorts of things could happen. So as I said, uh, you know, usually when we left the hotel, first of all, we had to, uh, you know, make excuses for not going to the uh, the Bear Ballet uh, show 
with 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 our group and we were you know we, we, there are only so many excuses you can have and we uh, we we used all of them that we could figure out to 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 try not to attract too much attention to to what we were doing uh, from the members of our group, but we would get out and we would give a cab driver uh, uh, an address, not knowing you know northeast, west, south, whatever. Uh, we didn't know where we were going, and they would just sort of take us to that address. And very often there would be uh, uh, lights of a cab or a car behind us, following us, no matter which way we went, and no matter which which way the the cabbie could get lost on his route. So um, one night we were out in, I, I believe it was in 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 part of Moscow, way outside the center of the city, and. Um, there was a, a an area of apartment buildings and they were separated by a highway with a, a, a walking, a pedestrian tunnel underneath. Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War Uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week. To be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War, as a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. And uh, Doug and I were looking for the apartment we we, we were trying to get to. And um, we were on one side of the highway and uh, uh, somebody may have pointed us in the opposite direction to the other side, but we went through the tunnel and we went uh, looking for it on the other side, the, the address, and we weren't able to find that. And we, we started to go back into the tunnel again. And uh, the guy who was following us uh, knew where we were going and pointed us in the right direction. <laughs> and <laughs> that, was, that was one of the funnier uh, events and, and comical events. They, the, the guy actually pointed us to the apartment that we were trying to get to. There were other times when, you know, we were out late at night after visiting people in their apartment and, um, uh, you know, we would, we would be looking for a cab or the family might have called a cab to get us. And there was clearly a second car following, uh, following us, uh, or following the cabs that, that picked us up along the way. So that, that kind of thing happened, uh, you know, all the time in most of the cities we visited. And, uh, we just, uh, we, 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 just got very used to it because we, 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 we felt, and we would say to ourselves when we were outside of the rooms, um, you know, we must be protected because we are, you know, they know we're members of congressional staff, so they're not going to do anything to us. And the most important thing for them was knowing who we were going to see or trying to figure out who we were seeing and why. Do you know, Eric, were there any, I don't know if recriminations is the right word, but was there any questioning of the families that 
you might have visited by the security services in the Soviet Union after you'd left? I don't recall. I believe that there were, you know, we did get some, uh, a couple of notes back from people saying that after we were there, uh, someone came in, knocked on the door and asked one of one or two of the families what we were talking about or why we were there. But I, I don't think that there was any real, uh, real trouble uh, as a result of that. And, and looking back at the meetings that you had with these families, uh, can you talk a little bit about what some of the ultimate outcomes were from the meetings? Uh, did did your visits uh, go a distance to assist them in terms of improving their conditions living in the Soviet Union or being able to emigrate to Israel? A number of the families that we met have emigrated. I, unfortunately, never... Uh, never reconnected with any any of the families either here or in Israel, um, and uh, I I don't have a, a specific uh, uh, you know family to talk about in that in that way. Uh, what I can say is that uh, by visiting the families, um, there was a, a, you know it was emotional for them. Uh, to know that their, you know, I hate to call them cases, but you know, their case was was known, uh, was 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 a member of the U.S. Congress, was aware of them and trying to help. Uh, that um, that 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 their plight was being was was being shared with others here, and that was that was encouraging and helpful. I don't know specifics of, you know, whether it helped anyone get out any faster or 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 have anything and uh, any better life uh, at the, at that time. And I wish I did. You talked a little bit about how they were aware of of Senator Levin and and other personalities in the states. How informed did you find? not just the Refusnik families, but the Soviet people you encountered in general, how aware were they of what was going on in the United States or, or in the West in general? My goodness. The, the, the Refusnik families were um, uh, super aware of things like the Helsinki Convention. Uh, the, the, when we were there, uh, there was a Madrid conference on human rights that was going to happen very soon, and they were strategizing on how to get their cases um, presented and uh, to make sure that certain people were were, were well represented in those uh, international conferences. These people uh, were, were were doing their best to listen to the voice of America and the BBC broadcasts. Um, in fact, when we were there, Peter, uh, we you know in 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 Moscow, for example, we were um, we, we we were demonstrated the uh, the way that the Soviets were blocking the the broadcast. So we heard live you know live broadcasts on the radio, and you could hear the hear what was being done to block them. Um, in in other cities, I believe in Kiev, uh, we heard broadcasts that were not being blocked. So different different cities had different policies about uh, whether the broadcast could get through. But they were um, big listeners to to the uh, uh, the free world radio, and uh, that was a, a, a very important channel for them to get 
current and, and you know, daily information. Um, they were also getting information through the mail, uh, you know, obviously no internet at that point, but through through the correspondence that went back and forth uh, between the organizations, their uh, the the sponsor groups, the you know people in 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 various uh, congregations and, and temples had adopted families, and they would send packages, send information back and forth, send letters, uh, and so they were getting a constant flow of information, and they kept up to up to date as much as they could throughout. So you mentioned, Eric, that on the trip, you had the chance to visit some other cities in the Soviet Union. You mentioned Odessa, Kiev, Leningrad, uh, among them. Did, did you travel by bus uh, throughout this trip or did you fly or take the train? Oh, we, uh, we, we, we took the, the planes uh, from, ver- from city to city. And, oh, Peter, these were the, uh, you know, these were old Russian prop jets. And um, very noisy, very, in, you know, not, you know, not with the modern safety devices. Uh, we were scared out of our minds every time we got on one of these planes. And, you know, there were three or four of them throughout the trip. And we, um, one, one of the interesting uh, things that I remember was the, uh, the practice uh, for the Soviet uh, uh, airlines, the, the pilot would come onto the plane only after all the passengers had been loaded, which was just a, a really freaky thing. You know, we're used to the absolute opposite and being welcomed by the pilot. Uh, we, we would see the pilot march in after we were all seated. Oh my goodness. Wow. And any impressions you had of some of the other cities that you visited? Uh, obviously, there's there's a lot to see, and I'm sure that you you got to see some of it. Were there any standouts from some of the other communities? Yeah, well, Leningrad, Leningrad at that time, Saint Petersburg today. Um, we we had a little time there, and it was the end of our trip, and we needed to be able to, you know, I needed to bring you know, uh, gifts back for family members, friends. Uh, and, 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 and so we had to do a little shopping there. And the memory that I have of the, uh, you know, the large uh, department store that we visited was, uh, was of a place that just had no merchandise at that time. Uh, there was very little that we could uh, very little that we could even look at and 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 consider buying, and there was even less that I uh, really wanted to buy. Uh, the merchandise was just not, you know, it just wasn't uh, the kind of things that you wanted to bring home. Um, I do remember, uh, you know, passing stores with uh, with with lines, bakeries, for example, that had lines because uh, bread was available that day. It was a uh, uh, you know, research, supplies, resources, product was was very limited, and uh, you know, bleak is uh, bleak continues to be the word. Um, we we did visit the the Hermitage uh, Hermitage in in Leningrad. It was an impressive museum. I, I I wish I could tell you more about what I saw there, but I don't have uh, tremendous memories of 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 all the the great art and. Um, history that we saw there. 
Um, but uh, yeah, it was, um, you know, we, we, because we were visiting families on our own, we did get to see a little more than the, uh, you know, sort of the government sponsored tour that we were taken on. Uh, but, uh, I, I know that we didn't bring a lot back from Russia in terms of souvenirs and gifts. I do know that the one, the greatest, uh, thing that I brought back was a, a rabbit fur hat. One of the warmest and most wonderful uh, hats that I ever uh, ever had, and uh, I, I I have misplaced that in the last few years, and don't just don't know where it went. But it was the the warmest, plushest, nicest big fur hat you could ever imagine. Wow. Well, I, I hope that it turns up uh, in the back of a closet or in a, a trunk at some point, Eric. Yeah. Let me tell you one other story that was really fun. Um, I, I mentioned that we came to the country with uh, with uh, things like Levi's jeans and, and sweaters for people, uh, because that would be a way on the black market they could easily uh, get, a, get, get a lot of ruples for something that was not available there. Um, when we got to one of the cities after Moscow, and I don't know, I think it was Leningrad, uh, we were planning to bring uh, a pair of Levi's to one of the families we met there. Uh, and we had that stacked in our closet in the hotel room. And in uh, the, the, the Russian tourist hotels, um, they have a strange thing where the keys are kept by, uh, I don't know whether they were called key ladies or something, floor monitors, so to speak, on each floor of the hotel. You couldn't take the key with you. You had to leave your hotel room key with the, with the uh, floor monitor, the key lady, and, um, and, and then pick it up when you came back. Um, so we had stuff in the room. And one of the key ladies um, must have been uh, poking around in the room or may have also been cleaning our room for some reason. But when we came back one day, she she walked into the room with us, which seemed strange. And she pointed to the jeans, which were uh, in, a, in, in, in the closet. I can't remember if they were in my suitcase or just taken out so that we could get to things in the suitcase. But in very, very broken English, she wanted those jeans and she wanted them badly. <laughs> um, she ended up paying us uh, something, uh, not quite the, the amount that they were worth on the street, but she ended up paying us something to get those jeans. And we, we, we were able to take the money and give that to the the family that was going to get the jeans instead. But it was one of those things where if we didn't, if we didn't submit to her, her, her deal, um, we would know, we knew that those jeans weren't going to be there the next time we left the room. There's further information such as photos and videos in our episode notes, which will show as a link in your podcast app. Now, this show wouldn't exist without our generous Patreons, so I want to thank one and all of them for their support. You can very easily become a Patreon by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. And you can also join our Facebook group where listeners just like you continue the Cold War conversation. Thanks very much for listening. 
It is really appreciated. Goodbye. Not enjoying the ads? Well, you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. By becoming a monthly or annual supporter, you'll enjoy ad-free listening, become a part of our community, receive the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster, and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information.